Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stressed out? Need a little self-care at home? CBD Healthcare Company skincare products deliver soothing relief and relaxation. Treat yourself. You deserve it. The CBD and CBD Healthcare Company's world-class formulated skincare products enhances the effectiveness of your typical skincare regimen, reduce the signs of wrinkles, remove dead skin cells and impurities, bring your skin to a healthy and radiant state. Self-care. Skincare at home. Visit CBDHealthCareCompany.com. Skincare products made in the USA. Murder on the Space Coast fans can save 20% off your order. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout. Murder on the Space Coast is brought to you by CBD Healthcare Company, the source you can trust. And now, here's John Torres with Episode 7. Previously, on Murder on the Space Coast, Left to Die because you were threatened or you felt you were going to be put in prison if you didn't cooperate? I scared, put in prison, maybe killed. You thought you might be killed? By who? No, law enforcement. Um, the only thing that is similar between the, um, the description of the alleged kidnapper and Carlson Green is that they were both black. I'm John Torres, and welcome back to Murder on the Space Coast, Left to Die. A note of clarification, I previously implied that Crosley Green was sentenced to die because of an 8-4 jury vote. That vote by the jury is merely a recommendation to the judge, who then makes the final decision. It was Judge John Antone who imposed the sentence, sending Green to death row. Now, before we dive back into our story, there are a few things I'd like to address. I say things, but in reality, they are four more serious problems with the state's case against Crosley Green. I wanted to include these earlier, but I try and keep the episodes to about 30 minutes or so, and I could never just squeeze them in. So here we go. The first has to do with something called gunshot residue. We've all heard the term, right? Well, gunshot residue is basically residue that is left on the clothing, hands, and arms of someone who has recently fired a gun. The residue is basically made up of burnt particles from the propellant, explosive primer, cartridge case, and bullet, etc. It can travel between 3 and 5 feet. GSR, or gunshot residue tests, are typically done in criminal cases when a shooting takes place. So the sheriff's crime scene folks swap Chip's hands and send them to the FDLE lab for testing. The report, signed by Daniel Radcliffe, no, not Harry Potter, that Daniel Radcliffe would actually be born a few months after the shooting. Anyway, the report says that as a given, minimum amounts of both elements antimony and barium must be present to indicate gunshot residue. Here are Radcliffe's findings. Quote, The amount of antimony present on the hand swabs was insufficient to indicate the presence of gunshot residue. Therefore, no testing for barium was conducted. 
However, this does not preclude the possibility that the subject had handled or discharged a firearm and no gunshot residue was deposited on the hands, or the residue, if deposited, was removed by washing, wiping, or other activity before the exhibit was obtained. Close quote. So, there wasn't enough on Chip's hands to even do a test for barium. If there was indeed a shootout, as Kim Halleck says, then there likely would have been residue found. Incidentally, no testing was ever done on Kim's hands, arms, clothing, etc. There was no gunshot residue done on her. She should have had GSR done on her hands to see if she fired that gun. Nothing was done with that. So many different things that, that, that are wrong with this. It should have been like, okay, let's just throw this whole thing out and start over, because this is ridiculous. It, nothing fits. Nothing works. That was former Deputy Mark Rixey, who, along with Diane Clark, was the first on the scene. Now, here is Prosecutor Chris White talking with Erin Moriarty of CBS 48 Hours about the same thing. No GSR taken of her hands? Why not? Uh, I don't know if there was or wasn't at there this wasn't. point. There wasn't. Why weren't her clothes collected? Why weren't pictures taken of her hands, her arms, to see if she had any injuries? Well, those are all interesting questions. I guess they could have done more examination. I'll give you that, okay? Is there any other physical evidence, anything, that connects Crosley Green to this case? I, I guess the simple answer to that is no. So what me- is wrong with those crazy jurors? What is wrong with those crazy judges? Luckily, in this country, we have a judicial system. The system has worked. Let's face it. We're all a little stressed these days. With all the distraction on what we can't do, it's time to do a little self-care at home. CBD Healthcare Company is the source you can depend on for facial, skin care, and muscle relief. Our made-in-the-USA, world-class calming body lotions, recovery creams, and anti-aging serums combine THC-free CBD extract with natural botanicals and known ingredients. CBDHealthCareCompany.com Because taking time for yourself is always a good idea. Murder on the Space Coast fans can save 20% off your order. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. On to item number two. The bullet that struck and eventually killed Chip Flynn itself. Greg Scala of the FDLE testified that the bullet found in Chip's upper right chest had similar characteristics to Chip's own gun, but it was so severely damaged they could do no further testing on it. In fact, he says more than three-quarters of the bullet was gone when they pulled it out of Chip's body. Why? Well, one answer is that it may have been a ricochet, meaning it struck another object first, like a rock, and bounced back. Scala said without fibers on the bullet or fragments or evidence of some item it may have struck before hitting Chip, he would be unable to call it a ricochet, though he could not rule a ricochet out either. Later on, the medical examiner would say that the bullet may have become damaged hitting one of Chip's ribs. This little tidbit about the possible ricochet just makes me think that perhaps the entire thing may have been an accident followed by panic. I mean, Kim Halleck did say that her and Chip would go out shooting his guns occasionally, target practice and all, 
could Chip have been hit by accident? Not wanting to get into trouble because they had been smoking pot, she makes up a story that then just spirals out of control? I don't know, maybe. The next item I want to address before we get started are the other injuries to Chip. No, there were no other injuries to his bare chest, despite Chip having dove headfirst from the jacked-up truck with his hands tied behind his back. No, the other injuries were to the backs of one of his legs, in particular, the thigh area. And what's very interesting about these injuries is that Kim tells the police that she may have accidentally run Chip over in her zeal to escape. Now, the medical examiner said the injury is not consistent with being run over because there would be soft tissue damage below the injury instead of it only being on the surface of the skin. Now, he does say the injury might be consistent with someone who was being dragged. Did someone try and drag Chip after he was shot? And when I say someone, I mean Kim because, well, she already knew about the injury and tried explaining it by saying she might have run him over. Attorney Rob Parker. And there was, he had some tags on his leg that seemed to me to have occurred. She thought she ran over him, which would have explained it. The doctor said no, because the tags were in the wrong direction. So the theory was that she tried to drag him to the truck because she was out there for such a period of time, caused the injury to the leg, couldn't get him up in the truck, and sat there, she says, for a long time. Uh, All the shooting had stopped. She sat there, not for a long time, but she sat there. The shooting stopped. She didn't know what to do, so she finally drives off. She thinks she runs over him. The medical examiner says, no, that didn't happen. The last point I'd like to make creates another huge hole in Kim's story. In a report dated June 16, 2000, 10 years after Crosley Green was sent to Florida's death row, The Florida Department of Law Enforcement lab provides a full analysis of Chip Flynn's swimsuit he wore the night he was killed, as well as the underwear that he had on. Remember, there were also a rolled-up pair of jeans on the back seat that wound up laid out with Chip's jacket and shirt at the Orange Grove, as if people were lying down on them. But regarding the swimsuit and underwear, guess what? There are two separate stains on the swimsuit that contain sperm. Two separate stains on his underwear that contain sperm and four separate stains on his tank top that contained sperm. Chip Flynn had sex that night. And since Chip was known to be heterosexual, and with his buddy David Stroop all night before seeing Kim, one would reasonably presume that Chip and Kim engaged in sexual relations that night. She never mentioned having sex that night at all. And that would back up what we heard Rob Parker say a few episodes ago about the way Chip's jeans, shirt, and jacket were laid out on the ground. Remember, Parker said that the clothes were matted down as if people were laying on them having sex. Again, just more stuff that doesn't seem to fit Kim's tale of what happened that night. And look, I know it's easy to look at something all these years later and really see the obvious holes and problems. But isn't that what homicide detectives are supposed to do as well? Look at absolutely everything and see if the evidence or lack of evidence fits or makes sense? I asked Mark Rixey about that. There's no physical evidence, none. You know, when you're an investigator investigating a crime, it's like a puzzle, you know, and you try to line up all the pieces. When you look at the evidence and you look at the circumstances and you look at the statements, it doesn't fit with Crosley Green. It just does not fit. Can you climb in a truck like that and drive it without leaving a single fingerprint? Why were there no gun ca- uh, bullet casings anywhere? How can you lean out of a truck that's jacked up off the ground 
with your hands tied behind your back and shoot a gun? How can you jump out of this truck and shoot a gun at a person? The fact that he was shot with the same, happens to be the same caliber as the gun he had, is, you know, all these things, they just don't add up to Carly Green. Um, however, if you plug Kim Hallett into that puzzle, everything fits. You see, could she have shot him? Yes, easily. They were arguing in his truck. She obviously knew where the gun was. She told us that. You know, could she have accidentally or intentionally shot him? Absolutely. Been scared? Sure. Came up with this cockamamie story about being kidnapped to cover her ass? No doubt. You know, drove out, staged this whole thing, and then drove way past where she needed to and spent 40 extra minutes to call the police. Absolutely. All that stuff makes sense. Every bit of that night makes sense when you say, you know, put her in as the, uh, the shooter. Stressed out? Need a little self-care at home? CBD Healthcare Company's skincare products deliver soothing relief and relaxation. Treat yourself. You deserve it. The CBD and CBD Healthcare Company's world-class formulated skincare products enhances the effectiveness of your typical skincare regimen. Reduce the signs of wrinkles. Remove dead skin cells and impurities. Bring your skin to a healthy and radiant state. Self-care. Skincare at home. Visit CBDHealthCareCompany.com. Skincare products made in the USA. Murder on the Space Coast fans can save 20% off your order. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. But Kim Halleck was never seriously considered a suspect at the time. She was seen as another victim. So back to Crosley Green awaiting the electric chair, and Chicago private eye Paul Cialino finding some real problems with the case against Crosley. Cialino's been around, and he knows that cases like this go unnoticed all the time, and so he goes on a media blitz trying to garner some attention in a bid to save Crosley Green's life. And so while Florida Today was writing about the case and following things, Chiellino wanted national exposure. There was some urgency associated with all this. And I was able to convince 48 Hours and CBS News to get involved as well. Oh, that's fantastic. Which is part yeah. of our formula. The media just has to take an active role in these things for you to get any... Um, to move forward on them because uh, the authorities aren't going to listen to you. They, they could give a shit less what you have to say. They, they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't, they don't care if they're guilty. Uh, clearly in, in that county, uh, they could care. Crosley Green was just, you know, another notch on the belt. Yeah, yeah. As far as they're concerned, he was guilty and he should be executed, period. And that's how the case found its way onto the hit news show, 48 Hours. Here's the show's host, Erin Moriarty. There were a number of private detectives uh, back in 1999 who had been told about this case, and they decided to look into it. Um, I didn't really know anything about Crosley Green. I knew the private detectives. One was uh, Paul Cialino, and another was Joe Mora. 
And we decided we would go with them. Um, so it was really that uh, that I got involved because of these private detectives, not Cosley Green. But then we stayed on the case longer than anybody uh, because of what we learned when we first went down there. On first glance, if you looked at the Cosley Green case, it looked like there were three or four witnesses who had testified against him, and then you had this young woman who identified him as the shooter. But then when you really start delving into the case and you realize all the inconsistencies in her story, um, and then you find out that all the witnesses who had testified at trial have now recanted and why they recanted, it's, it's the fact that the case was nothing like what the jury thought back in 1990. That's what interested me in this case and horrified me at the same time. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to thank our 2019 summer intern, Olivia McElvie, for interviewing Erin for me. I thought that would just be a really cool assignment for her to do, and so there you go. Thank you. 48 Hours ran its first show on Crosley Green in 2000, and incredibly, the state asked the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, or FDLE, to investigate because of the new evidence and recantations. That's why some of the interviews you've been hearing are with FDLE agents. It was during these interviews that FDLE agents learned all about the recantations we heard last episode and the information from Timmy Curtis about his former truck, how hard it was to drive, and how Crosley Green could not even drive a stick shift. So just how did Prosecutor Chris White react to those recantations? Well, his take, they must be lying, of course. Have you ever had a case where three witnesses that you asked to take the stand have recanted and lied? Have you ever had a case? You know, I never have. I I never have. That doesn't trouble you? Not coming from those people with those ties to the Green family and the Green family being what it is? No, it doesn't trouble me a great deal. Hmm. Those people? Keep listening. Those people are not law-abiding, honest people that you can trust to tell the truth. I'm sorry. But that's why I took it. Whoa, 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 okay. Hold on there just a moment. So out of one side of his mouth, Chris White is saying, bah, you can't trust people like Lonnie Hillary, Sheila Green, and Alan Jerome Memory to tell the truth. They are not law-abiding people. But then out of the other side of his mouth, he presents these very same people that he can't trust to tell the truth as witnesses in a capital murder case and asks a jury to believe them. I wish I could say I'm shocked by that, but I'm not. It was the team of Chris White and Dean Moxley, who then became a judge and is now retired, who solicited and made deals with child rapist and murderer Clarence Zaki in several cases, most notably against innocent rape suspect Wilton Dedge. Remember Dedge? I covered his case during season two of Murder on the Space Coast. He spent more than 20 years in prison for a rape that he did not commit. When the state's case began falling apart, prosecutors produced Clarence Zaki who testified that Dedge confessed the murder to him while he was being transported from prison to the courthouse. Dedge was eventually fully exonerated by DNA testing of the semen left behind by the real rapist. Here is Chris White's rationale about putting those people, Green, Hillary, and Murray, on the witness stand. And we let the jury know that. I felt all we did was put them in a position where they were willing to tell the truth. That's what I thought. Okay, so you get the picture, right? 
In typical fashion, for prosecutors in the 18th Judicial Circuit during this time, and Chris White in particular, it was clear they needed to come up with another witness who would recant the recantations, if you will. He needed to find someone new to come forward and say, Oh yeah, Crosley told me that he killed that kid. And guess what? They did. By the time Chris White's people dragged a slug named Layman Lane from under the rock where he lived, Lane had already been found guilty of grand theft and selling cocaine in 1990, more drug charges in 1991 and 1992, another grand theft in 1995, and numerous criminal driving charges. Since he testified for Chris White, Layman Lane has been found guilty of more drug charges, aggravated assault, and having a firearm though he was a felon. Oh yeah, and one of those charges he was found guilty of was to be in possession of a sawed-off shotgun or machine gun. He sounds just like one of those people. You know, the kind that live outside the law that can't be trusted to tell the truth. But I guess he's telling the truth when he's on the prosecutor's side, and he's lying if he's not. Anyway, just as it seemed like things might be going Crosley's way with all these recantations, somehow the state finds Layman Lane. I wish you could see the video of this FDLE interview with him. Lane, a white guy, is shirtless but wearing a green jacket or coat that is open down the front. He's smoking cigarettes, hair greased back slick, and his legs are crossed. Anyway, here is what he had to say. And when he mentions Tina, he's referring to Crosley Green's sister, Celestine Peterkin. That night that you're working, can you take us step by step through what happened, which direction Papa came from, what he said, you know, and... I remember he just come kind of walking up. I don't know if I need the car. I believe it was, or I need the hood. He come kind of walking up, all scared of everything. He wanted to do a hit or something like that. He wanted to hit. So yeah. You shared hit with him, with yeah. crack. Mm-hmm. And what did he say from there? He said I just shot somebody. I don't know if I killed him or whatever. I got rid of the gun in the orange grove. I had to hide someplace, and I guess Terry got a hold of Tina or something. They come pick him up. He's not Tina's house. Did he say anything else to you? Not really. In the car coming in earlier, you mentioned, as we were driving over here, you mentioned something about a, being a, over drugs or something. Yes. How, where did that come from? That's what Tina told me about it. Oh, so when did you talk to Tina? It's like two or three days later, and, or I mean, the next day, I don't remember exactly when. What did she tell you about it? She said he told her he was over dope, and the guy wanted to fight him over it. And he pulled a pistol and shot him. We say over dope. How did it come up about the dope? Did he say any more about it or anything further about where it happened? It probably happened right there, hold apart. Did they give a description of the guy? Or the, if they were white, black, if they were white guy? Did he say any vehicles or anything? I believe it was a pickup truck. Right, for sure. That's what I remember. I was a truck. And there was one guy? Yes. Two guys? One. I heard one guy. Okay. Um, do you remember what he was wearing? No, sure not. But specifically what he said to you that you heard him say was, he just shot a guy, but he don't know if he killed him or not. So a convicted felon testifies that Crosley Green admitted the crime to him. Now the state also produced something else for this hearing. Two hairs that were tested years after the trial for DNA. Now, I will get into all of that and exactly what it meant for Crosley Green's case next episode. Needless to say, for now, Layman Lane's testimony about Green admitting the crime to him 
and this newly discovered DNA evidence kept Crosley Green on course for a date with the electric chair. But the notoriety, thanks to 48 Hours and Paul Cialino, caught the attention of the American Bar Association, which in turn reached out to a large law firm based in Washington, D.C., known as Crowell & Mooring. Here is one of their attorneys, Keith Harrison. This was a case that came to Crow and Mooring through the American Bar Association's death penalty um, project, um, and uh, they, they asked us to take a look at the case. Um, and we, we have worked and con- we have worked and continue to work very closely with the American Bar Association's death penalty project uh, on several cases. Um, and you know what drew us to this case was. Um, there was a lot of evidence very early on that Crosley was actually innocent, and we reviewed, um, you know, the information, the, the the facts, the basic facts surrounding the event, um, the eyewitness testimony, and the you know um, uh, the testimony surrounding um, what the alleged events were. And we were convinced, and I personally was, was um, you know, interested in the case because we thought it was likely a, likely a case of actual innocence. Oh, wow. Um, so, wow. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, when you first are reading facts, um, you know, you have to be very, you have to read them with a critical eye, um, which, is, which is what we did. And initially, you know, I thought, I, I don't know what happened in this case because I, I certainly wasn't there. Um, but I know that what the prosecution was saying happened, I knew that wasn't right. Um, I didn't know what the real facts were, um, but I thought there was enough there uh, to, to um, you know, take the case. and. You know, again, we have the benefit that the American Bar Association Death Building Project, you know, screens its cases, um, you know, prior to asking law firms to take take them up. So, um, uh, you know, it was more than just our view that this is a case that merited further investigation and, um, you know, and um, defense. Right. So, so is, it, is it accurate then, Keith, to say your first goal was just to get Crosley Green removed from death row? Yes, that was our, that was our charge. So the American Bar Association Death Penalty Project, um, you know, takes up cases um, um, of death row inmates uh, that, that have uh, viable defenses or are likely to have viable uh, defenses. Um, and so our immediate goal, our charge, was to do what we could to get Crosley off uh, Florida's death row. He had been on death row for some, I know it was over 15 years when we got the case. It may have been 19 years, I'm not sure, but he had been on death row for well over a decade. Um, and so our, our initial charge was um, to investigate the case, see if he had viable defenses, and um, see if um, we could, um, you know, save him from being on death row. 
In January of 2008, the Florida Supreme Court ruled that the courts made an error in allowing the jury to know about Crosley's robbery conviction in New York when he was a teenager and the fact that he served time in a juvenile facility. Remember, it was during that time he was incarcerated that his mother and father were killed in the murder-suicide. Later that year, a hearing would take place to determine whether Crosley Green would go back onto death row or be resentenced to life in prison. We know at least one person wanted to see Crosley die at the hands of the state, and that was Kim Halleck. Now, we don't have audio of her statement, but we do have a transcript of the letter that she had read by a victim advocate at the start of the hearing. And again, I have reached out to her for an interview, but have received no response. Kim's letter read, Your Honor, it truly sickens me to know that this animal could walk the streets after committing such a heinous crime. I please ask you to punish him to the fullest extent. The choice he made by taking the life of Chip shows that he truly has no conscience and has a little regard for human life. That night he took my innocence away, as now I find myself constantly looking over my shoulder due to the decision of this so-called man. It took me many years to block out the horrible images that will keep me awake many nights. Over time, I was finally able to regain my trust in people. Simply to have this nightmare we lived through the appeals process, I constantly had to relive the horrific night over and over again because of his attempts to persuade a panel of judges that he was innocent of those crimes. However, throughout this process that only did not help his case, it provided DNA evidence that further linked him to the crime. If the state so chooses to commute the sentence to life in prison, I can live with that decision. However, this man should never be allowed to walk the streets of this nation as a free man, ever. Crosley has stated that he has now found God. If this were true, he would admit to the crime that was committed that night. He should be asking for forgiveness from the families affected, instead of the life sentence that he so deserves. Close quote. Crosley's new lawyers succeeded in having him sentenced to life, and the state did not really pursue a death penalty sentence again. But as we've heard attorney Keith Harrison say, his law firm would stay the course and do everything in its power to prove Crosley Green was an innocent man. But what about that DNA that now added more firepower to the state's contention that they got the right shooter? Next time on Murder on the Space Coast, Left to Die. The reason why the state didn't take any action was because there was one single hair that was found in the truck that Chip Flynn had been driving that night where it didn't match Crosley Green, but Crosley Green could not be excluded. And because of that, the state didn't take action. Um, and um, there were, as the court knows, there were two hairs that were recovered eventually by the FBI, by the FBI lab, and that uh, there was testimony in this court with regard to the DNA testing. Now, the DNA testing consumed 100% of those two hairs, um, and uh, so there's nothing available to retest. I'm news columnist John A. Torres, and you can follow me on Twitter at John Albert Torres. That's at J-O-H-N-A-L-B-E-R-T-O-R-R-E-S. And for more information on this case and web exclusives, please go to floridatoday.com. Murder on the Space Coast is written and narrated by me, John A. Torres. The producer is Rob Landers, and the editor is Mara Bellaby. Thanks for listening to Murder on the Space Coast, brought to you by Florida Today, 
a part of the USA Today Network. Let's face it, we're all a little stressed these days. With all the distraction on what we can't do, it's time to do a little self-care at home. CBD Healthcare Company is the source you can depend on for facial, skin care, and muscle relief. Our made-in-the-USA, world-class calming body lotions, recovery creams, and anti-aging serums combine THC-free CBD extract with natural botanicals and known ingredients. CBDHealthCareCompany.com Because taking time for yourself is always a good idea. Murder on the Space Coast fans can save 20% off your order. Use promo code PODCAST at checkout. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.